Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss. Hey, why does it always have to be Let the Boys Kiss? Because it's the name of our podcast? Yeah, but why can't it ever be Let the Girls Kiss? You know, you're right. There's nothing in the rule books that says it can't be. Welcome to Let the Girls Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Femslash. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. So, Maddie, we're, again, doing something a little different this week, but uh, who are we talking about? Well, I'd say we're talking about uh, women. What sources are we looking at to have a discussion about women? The sources are... Things that have women in them. Have you seen any of those sources? Yeah, I was going to say, I think I think we've both seen things that have women in them. I don't want to speak for you. Uh, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll speak for myself. But I, I too have seen things with women in them. So I feel like we're well prepared. So why are we doing this? It is a different format than our usual and uh, feels a little nebulous. A little bit jokes aside at this point. Um, when we did the episode of things we were not going to cover, right, we went through the top 100 of the AO3 list for 2020, and we noticed that there were only three femslash couples on the list. Yep. And we talked a little bit about that in the episode of things we were not going to cover, but we wanted to give more space to this conversation of femslash than to just have it shunted into like a little corner uh, of that episode. So we decided to revisit it. And probably still, I don't know that we're going to give it enough time, but no. I mean, one episode of a whole series of episodes is probably not enough time, but we will be there's a reason that 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 is the case, which we will be getting into yes. for the rest of this episode. So just to recap, there are the three ships that are female female ships on the AO3 Top 100 are uh Kara and Lena from Supergirl who are the 36th most popular ship. Swan Queen from Once Upon a Time, who are the 41st most popular ship. And then Klexa from The 100, who are the 47th most popular ship, who you will... I mean, all of these you'll be hearing more about later, but Klexa you'll be hearing more about later. Right. And I guess we should say, again, as much as we have both seen things that have women in them, we have not watched any of these three shows. Correct. I know I haven't, but again. I haven't. I've seen, I feel like I've maybe seen the pilot of the hundred a while ago, and I doubt that that tells me anything about this ship. Right. I think we'll start with a basic history of Femslash, just to sort of get everybody up to speed. But before we do that, I want to take a second just to talk about the term Femslash, which I know there's a bit of controversy about, which I totally get. The reason that Femslash exists is there is sort of an assumption that when you talk about slash, you mean male, male slash. So you're sort of othering the entire concept of female, female slash when you concede that the terms are slash and fem slash. So I think in a nod to that, and I appreciate that that is like an issue with the terminology and also just to not get confused as we try to distinguish between the two for this episode, we will likely be using terms like boy slash or dude slash or something like that to refer to male, male slash so that you'll always know what we're talking about when we do. 
Yeah, there are a lot of alternative terms for femslash that have been suggested, and I mm-hmm. would just like to highlight my personal favorite, which is sophic, but spelled with Fs, like yes, fic, like as in fic. fan fiction. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I'm into it. But yeah, either way, whatever you prefer to call it, today we're talking about the ladies. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning of femslash, which we find ourselves in a familiar place, I think. Tell me about the origins. Yes, I was very happy to read this. Apparently, the earliest, I'm guess I'm going to say known, right? Like the earliest known femme slash story comes out of the Star Trek, the original series fandom. As hey! all great fandom things do. Exactly. We haven't talked about this yet because as we've spoiled already, we will be doing a Star Trek episode. But that's sort of the origin of Boy Slash as well. So it's the origin of all things Slash, which I appreciate about it. It's a beautiful progressive wonderland over in the Star Trek (laughs) fandom. Um, But the earliest, again, known femme slash story is a a chapel or horrific called Kismet by Danny Morin. And there was subsequently, a few years later, uh, a original character fic by a person named CM called And Then, which was set on a a Klingon ship. But yes, Star Trek the origin of all things it is oh that's so nice I, I don't think we have a lot to get into there because we have not read either of the fic i don't even know if they're around still it's, it's interesting too because we'll get into our theories but um as much as star trek is right this progressive future story it was still a television show made in the 60s so there weren't a ton of female characters or her is obviously one of the main bridge crew but chapel was a, a recurring character so it's just interesting to see like that's enough like yeah. we have these two women on the ship ship them. as we said it's about women the characters are women <laughs> the shows are shows with women in them yes that's all it takes for a male ship so why should we need any more for a female but ship? Th- that's the origin but when did femme slash blow up oh yeah so we have to jump forward a a couple few decades find ourselves in the 90s with xena warrior princess i hope you can hear the fondness in my voice when i say that because i don't know about you i think we have similar memories of like watching that as children and enjoying lucy lawless and how awesome she is and xena and the costumes i didn't remember until recently i think that that was a spin-off of the hercules show which i don't remember yeah revisiting it as adults um it was a really fun time the the, like nostalgia of it is there but also just an appreciation of how delightful xena and her the the woman that uh, is her companion on the show is named gabrielle and they have just a very close relationship (laughs) that became fodder for just a huge amount of femme slash fandom yeah i was i was telling you earlier that before we started diving into this if you had told me oh remember xena they were lesbians i would have been like yeah yeah yeah, yeah like, of course they were. that sounds right i remember that happening and the reason you remember it is because they basically were <laughs> like right. they were not canonically confirmed but there were like canon kisses but somehow they skewed it a little bit so that they were able to air it on the show so there's like an episode where uh xena's almost dead or something and she's like has mind melded with some guy so that she can control his body even though her body is not around and so 
Gabrielle is talking to her in this guy's body and then she goes into like she closes her eyes and imagines Xena and they're having this conversation face to face and then Xena goes in to kiss Gabrielle and she leans in and like almost connects and then they switch to the footage of the guy that Xena's in the body of and they kiss and you're like that is a canon kiss they are kissing (laughs) it's just that you happen to put her in Bruce Campbell's body by the way love Bruce Campbell um (laughs) nice but it's like that's the thing the show is doing that sort of thing over and over and as you talk to at the time as you talk to the creators the producers everybody involved they were very much putting in all of this subtext intentionally and like I, you hear them talk about how they kind of had been warned off of making them canonically lesbians by the studio, which, you know, boo studio. But because of that, they very much went up to the line as much as possible every time they could with this relationship. And the actresses really liked the, you know, the lesbian fandom and the creators did and they all had a good time leaning into it. So it definitely, if you're watching and are thinking like, they're lesbians, right? I, I don't think that the creators would disagree with you. Yeah. But to to that point, right, this is a example, and we've talked about our, you know, the previous shows we've covered. Sometimes creators and fans are antagonistic. Sometimes creators and fans are on the same page. And there's a, it's a really, like, beautiful example of creators and fans being on the same page. Exactly. With Xena. And another fun thing about the Xena fandom is that they – sort of are responsible for popularizing AU fic. So like alternate universe fan fiction, which is has to be one of the most popular genres of fan fiction in all realms at this point, because it really is just, you know, anything that's not canon. So if you take your right. two characters and have one of them work in a coffee shop or whatever, like that's your AU. Um, and there, this got popularized, though it did exist, obviously, before Xena. They didn't invent the concept. But it got popularized because they did an episode of Xena called the Xena Scrolls that was like, it was set in the 1930s and it had the same actors, but they were playing different characters. And it just became this hugely popular episode of the show and inspired everybody to write what at the time they were calling Uberfic before they started calling it AU. Um but just the idea of like, we can take these characters, we like them, put them in any situation. And it blew up because of that. So that's an exciting little piece of fandom history. Yeah. Thanks, fem slashers. Yeah. Xena, Xena. So, I mean, I advise everybody. There's a, I don't know where you can stream the episodes of the show, but there's a Xena YouTube page that has a bunch of clips. And lots of them are just like Xena Gabrielle clips. And go in and watch that because they're a fun time. Yeah, as far as we could tell, it's not really streaming anywhere, which is very frustrating. It was on Netflix at some point. But it has since been removed. But maybe it will come back someday. Boo, let us watch Xena Warrior I don't know who owns it. I mean, I assume whoever owns it is going to put it on their their own streaming service now, since everybody's got a streaming service. I'm looking it up because now I have to know. Oh, it looks like um, NBC Universal owns it, so... It could be on Peacock any day, guys. Put it on Peacock. <laughs> we should be lobbying them to put Xena on Peacock. But anyway, I think that about sums up the delight that is Xena Warrior Princess. But there was kind of another gap in like fan slash popularity after that before we get into what we'll call the modern times. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get over Xena. That's true. Once you've had Xena, like nothing else compares. But we'll start... I guess with Glee, which is an interesting 
femme slash story because of the way that the fan creator interaction sort of made it happen. So mm-hmm. this was, um, you know, early-ish Twitter days. Um, a lot more contact between fans and creators than there had been before. And I think in the first season of Glee, there was some throwaway reference to Brittany and Santana's relationship that the fans really glommed on to. <laughs> People were excited by that concept and then were not at all shy about letting Ryan Murphy and the producers know that they were really into that idea. And then it became canon. <laughs> so it's like a really exciting win for fandom where you can have your voices heard and be like, we would love for this to be a real thing. And then the producers are like, hey, you know, we would love for that to we'll be a real it. thing too. <laughs> Why not? So it was an early success story that I think uh, has led to a lot of disappointment afterwards <laughs> because it is so much the exception and not the rule as we have experienced in all of our dude slash discussion that a ship that was not intended by the show, but that fans love almost never gets like becomes canon because the fans just ask for it enough. I feel like I can not really think of almost any examples of that happening. So it was really like peaceful and nice thing that happened with Glee that led to a lot of disappointment later on for some of the same fans who had moved on to become fans of Once Upon a Time. (laughs) So a similar thing happened on Once Upon a Time where um, this ship Swan Queen, which is between the, um, God, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time, so it's hard for me to figure out how it works because there's like the fairy tale versions of them. It's the the black swan and then the the evil queen from Snow White. Whatever those representations of them are on the show. Um, apparently they have a lot of like enemies sort of tension on the show that you know how people love enemies to lovers. So fans started to get really invested in their dynamic and it became kind of uh, contentious with the showrunners and um, I don't know about the actors or anything. We didn't do a full deep dive into this, but it sounds like... Yeah. Fans were really pushing for it. And then the the show sort of went out of their way to be like, that's not happening. That's not what we're writing. And then it was became sort of like adding insult to injury because then they I think they said that they like implied that Mulan was gay, but then they wrote Mulan off the show. <laughs> so there was like a lot of not friendly feelings happening uh, in the yeah. Once Upon a Time fandom, which is a bummer. I gotta say, if you are not in the Once Upon a Time fandom, trying to read Wikipedia pages, baffling. It was some deep lore. So confusing, guys. I mean, if you have are not in that fandom, go just try to understand what's going on over there. It's a lot is happening, but apparently what isn't happening is lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> a lot is everything but lesbians is happening. It's a real bummer. But upon the back of that disappointment, we are led into what is the low point, the dark ages, which is the television bloodbath that was the year 2016. Why don't you kick us off with the story of The Hundred? In The Hundred, you end up with a canonically lesbian relationship, which is wonderful. Which I think that had been like, there'd been a lot of lead up to that in terms of the creators and actors and stuff, getting people excited about the lesbian couple and like how fun it was going to be that they were going to get together. 
And then as soon as they get together, what happens? Lexa, who was one of the, the pair, uh, gets killed. And she gets, like, shot by a stray bullet that isn't even meant for her. She just randomly dies. Right. Now, to be fair to the show, we did find out that the actress had to leave the show. Yeah, I think she was on, like, Fear the Walking Dead or something. And They had... probably still could have done something oh, different. That's the thing. Anything different would have been good. And so there's this broad uproar about how it was handled. And it launches this Twitter hashtag campaign called LGBT fans deserve better. Everyone's talking about it. Friggin Maybelline decides to stop advertising on the show because of this. So it really blows up. It really blows up. And then instead of fans being met with the television industry saying, we'll do better. What immediately happens is just tons of deaths on a bunch of different shows. So right after the hundred, we get the death of a black lesbian on The Magicians, who, I mean, we didn't watch it, but the description of this death sounds pretty messed up, guys. Yeah, we did see this on a list. What was it? 124? No, it was way more. It was... uh, 214? 214 dead lesbian and bisexual characters on TV and how they died. Yes. So it's... Well, I think we'll post that list because it's it's an amazing read. It starts with like a show in the 70s. But the description of this person on The Magicians is she died she was like in a coma but kept alive she was helping a white woman on her spiritual journey and then once that white woman has achieved whatever she needs to achieve then the black lesbian asks the white woman to kill her (laughs) and she does so i mean on the off chance that description is wrong and it's not as terrible as it sounds do let us know but we read that and we're like we were like that sounds pretty fucked up oh no This is like the worst magical Negro situation I've ever heard of. (laughs) And then right after that, a lesbian character dies on The Walking Dead, which like, I mean, everybody dies on The Walking Dead, but we'll get into that later. And then right after that, The Vampire Diaries kills not one, but two lesbians at the same time. And because there's all this uproar beforehand, Julie Plack, the showrunner, goes on her like blog or whatever the day before the episode's supposed to air to preemptively spoil the deaths of these lesbians (laughs) in an effort to make people not be so upset about it. But of course that does not work. It's more, you know, fuel to the flame. And then this all culminates with what sounds like a wild end for a couple of characters on Empire. So Naomi Campbell is bisexual and she is married to lesbian Marissa Tomei on the show. And Naomi Campbell is in love with some other guy. Marissa Tomei is dying, but not quickly enough. And so Naomi Campbell kills Marissa Tomei and then herself. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. And that show was being run at the time by Eileen Chaikin, who is a lesbian. She's the creator of The L Word. And she (laughs) tried to... uh, make it all better by saying like we're not burying our gays it's a totally different thing and she has this quote which i love if anything the lesbians should wish for a character like camilla which is naomi campbell to be killed off since she just preyed on a powerful lesbian in order to fulfill her heterosexual ambitions wow eileen (laughs) it's great stuff yeah it's a it's a real interesting take on what bisexuality is 
But also, it doesn't explain why Marissa Tomei had to die. Yeah, it was just sort of this cavalcade of lesbian and bisexual lady death that kind of resulted in a fair amount of discussion among the television critic class and, you know, creators of shows and stuff. And it got people thinking about just the rate at which queer women die on TV. (laughs) And so people did some really interesting research at the time. One bit of analysis counted up all of the deaths on television between like, you know, in the 2015-2016 season and did a little bit of analysis and found that despite the fact that LGBTQ women are a very small proportion of characters on television, they were a full 10% of the deaths on TV that year. 3% were LGBTQ men, 26% were minorities which again feels pretty high. And somebody said since the beginning of 2015, more than 50 queer women on television died, often in violent ways that benefit somebody else's story, which to me, 50 queer women feels like that's got to be almost all the queer women on TV. (laughs) There just aren't that many of them. So that's a wild situation. Yeah. And so because people were bringing all of this stuff up, then I think showrunners, creators all felt like they had to respond. And generally, a lot of times what people will say is like, depending on what show you're on, say you're The Walking Dead, like your response is going to be, we kill everybody. Like our, our whole thing is that our characters die. It's an apocalypse. There's zombies. People die shockingly right. all the time. And I think, right. And we've talked about this before with like the idea of representation, which is difficult because like every show has a responsibility. So like in a ideal world where there's sufficient representation and sufficient lesbians not dying right you could kill off a character on the walking dead and it would be fine because i don't think you're trying to say that all lesbians should be shielded from death on every tv show like that's not the rule you're trying to make but you're living in a world where there's so few of them already every death is meaningful every death is going to be talked about and that argument that we are like equal opportunity killers of our characters rings true only to a point because On every show, even a show where lots of people die, there are some characters that you just know are not going to die, right? Like forever on The Walking Dead, it was Rick Grimes was not going to die. And and on, say, your Game of Thrones or something like Jon Snow is not going to die. And almost always those bulletproof characters that you know aren't going to die are straight almost exclusively, white almost all the time, men most of the time right so you end up in this situation where it's like everybody else starts to feel expendable and you know the characters that aren't going to die are straight white dudes so what are we trying to say with that so i think probably the solution to this is as you said more representation everywhere all the time is good but you need these lgbtq plus just queer characters at the center of the stories right we need some of them to be the, the bulletproof characters and then you'll start to be like you know, well, so that side character died and that side character died, but at least we've still got all of these other folks. So that's the death spiral that was 2016. So I would like to think slash say that things have gotten better since then. Is that the case? I think we do not see a similar year like 2016 again, <laughs> which is really nice. I don't know that we are necessarily seeing more LGBTQ Uh, women on shows but I guess they're getting killed less often fingers crossed (laughs) um I would say the the most in the world that we're in now on the AO3 list and seemingly just in like 
the world. The most popular TV fanslash ship out there right now is this Supergirl ship, Kara and Lena. They're, again, number 36 on the stats list. And they're not canon. (laughs) So it's the most popular ship out there, which, to be fair, like most of the popular boy slash ships are not canon. Because slash ships just are not that common in canon. Because, you know, creators need to get with the times. But that's sort of what there is. Like, that's what most of the conversation is about. Obviously, there's always a broad and varied collection of things people are shipping. But they are seemingly the most common femme slash ship out there. And I don't think either of them has died. (laughs) That's true. And we did find that one piece that showed that, like, of all of the Supergirl fanfic, the femme slash makes up a pretty large percentage. It was overwhelming. So that's kind of cool. This like mainstream TV show, it's a rarity, I think, to find that the most common ship from a TV show is Femme Slash. So that's exciting. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know that we're in like the glory days of Femme Slash yet. Hopefully it's still coming. But are we seeing Femme Slash crop up anywhere? You have a a story with a, a... you know, a female lead and a and a lady best friend in the way that we see with with male slash. Uh, well, there's certainly a, a sh- ship that I feel like should be way more popular than it is. Thank you for teeing that up. And again, has a similar dynamic of a, a super powered lady and her not super powered. It's a popular good dynamic. friend. It's what we'll get into this later, but you might call a favored dynamic. But I think people should be shipping Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and her friend Maria. I mean, did you see the vibes in that movie? There were vibes. I don't understand. Why isn't this more popular? I don't know either because it was a very popular movie. It made over a billion dollars, right? It's a so freaking people's... Marvel movie. Everybody saw it. Uh, they saw it. Mm-hmm. And it was just interesting to realize that this did not appear on the top 100 or or seemingly we went and looked for fic and there's like not much of it um yeah but they're they're so close and and they're like you know she's one of them's got a daughter and they're like kind of raising the daughter together like it's so cute i'm hella into it and i guess i don't know if we should say we're a little concerned that another phenomenon we've seen in previous episodes is informing this lack of shipping i think we should say (laughs) i don't think there's a reason not to which is that one of these characters is not white yeah man that's correct and that definitely seems to be to the detriment of every other ship in the world so i think it's worth calling out um but that's that's the bummer for me i feel like that should be shipped i like it a lot but yeah and despite the activity around these unfortunate deaths in 2016 and sort of the fans getting Brittany and Santana together, we did find that of all the AO3 stories, still only 9% are tagged. Female slash female. Yeah. Yeah. Which ain't much. I mean, I get that that's, it's competing with several other types of tags. It's not like the only options are femme slash or dude slash. You got, you know. Right. There is some straight fic in there too. There's gen fic. There's stuff right. going on. But yeah, I mean, 9%. It's a bummer. So um, I think I want to take a little second to do 
we're getting to this is all leading to a discussion of like why is this the case why is there so little femme slash why is there so much more dude slash but before we get into that i think we need a brief interlude because we found some super great useful research which we'd been asking for for weeks and weeks and months and finally came across while we were looking into this episode (laughs) we got some census demographics of ao3 users like readers and people who use it to put their fic on the site and we've had all of these questions about what is the i guess not so much what is the gender because it is well acknowledged everywhere that most of the people who are taking part in transformative fandom both writing and reading fanfic are women which Mm -hmm. is born out in this research as well but i think there's been a lot of discussion since the beginning of slash fic about the sexuality of the people who write and read slash fic so both femme slash which is relevant to this conversation but also dude slash and since the beginning of i was gonna say since the beginning of time (laughs) well since the beginning of analysis of fandom generally there's been this assumption that most of the people who write at least male male slash fic are straight women and the people who read it are straight women and so they're just like interested in men and write about men and it's a bunch of straight women feeding the fic to each other so and this comes out of a couple of sort of like foundational studies and pieces in in fan uh studies in like the early 90s it -hmm. seems like is where this conventional wisdom was born right and it is hard to combat the conventional wisdom because there is not a lot of super great research like quantitative research about participants in fandom because why would there be unless you're this amazing tumblr user who takes it upon herself to do a huge ao3 census and and we should clarify this happened in 2013 so it's not like the freshest data of all time but it is fresher but than, it's pretty deep it's deep data man there are more than 10,000 respondents to this survey which is that's a big survey um so I think we want to share just a few of the top line numbers as context for the conversation that we're going to get into. Um, so just the regular demographics, the average age of respondents to the survey was 25, which is interesting because I feel like the majority of them skewed young, but then there's like a long tail into older ages. And then there were very, very few male respondents, which is, I guess, not a huge surprise, but interesting. And they have put that in the context of more respondents selected genderqueer than selected male as their gender. So yeah. like it was a very small amount of male respondents. What has more bearing on what we were talking about is in terms of sexuality, only 38% of respondents to the survey selected heterosexual. Right. So you've got this community that's far more queer than it is straight. And I, I do want to say, right. So we're seeing this increase in women in particular identifying yes. as bisexual and so some of that might be the case that in the 90s, fewer people were willing to identify as bisexual, regardless Correct. of what their internal experience was. So it's a little difficult to determine if there's been a shift in like the actual kind of people engaged, or if it's just a shift in the way that people self-identify these days. Yeah, that's probably likely. I mean, because we see... The fandom space in general, I don't know if this, I haven't looked at the 90s numbers, but the fandom space now in general feels much more queer than the general public. But it is interesting to me that the general public has become more queer over time, as has uh, the fandom space. 
Then we have 54% of respondents identify as either a gender, sexual, or romantic minority, or some combination thereof. And uh, unsurprisingly, we find that 78% selected white as their um, ethnicity. Yeah. Which should account for the lack of non-white people in (laughs) all of this pic, potentially. still a a very overwhelmingly white space. Very white. Um, And then just a couple more things in terms of who, what type of person, I guess, is interested in each type of fandom. So like a femme slash fandom, a female slash male fandom, a gen fandom, or a dude slash fandom. So we find that Fem slash fans are less likely to be heterosexual women and more likely to be either bi, pansexual, or homosexual women, which we'll get into in a little bit, but I think is a common assumption about fem slash fans. Mm-hmm. Female slash male fans are less likely to be homosexual women, more likely to be heterosexual women. That tracks. Gen fans are less likely to be bi, pansexual, or heterosexual, more likely to be asexual women or asexual non-binary people. I guess if you think about that, that tracks too. Sure. And then male slash male fans are less likely to be heterosexual women and more likely to be bi slash pansexual women, which is interesting because that defies the conventional wisdom. But I think a lot of this response is we're finding there's just like way more bi people out there than people know knew about. <laughs> right. Or even think about now. So that sets us up well to talk about this. We'll frame it through the lens of this fantastic AO3 uh article sure. analysis <laughs> there's like a venn diagram thing happening too just yeah. an interesting analysis that ao3 did about potential reasons for the relative unpopularity of fem slash popularity of dude slash and like what sort of things could be leading into that right and this was also specifically the lack of fem slash on ao3 so some of this <laughs> analysis is very specific to AO3, but I think some of, you know, the theories you can move around and and track around. You can more broadly apply to fandom in general. So yeah, I think we're just going to kind of go through the list and and have a discussion about it. Give our reactions. I think this list is primarily speculation and we're going to be speculating on the speculation. So I think it's just worth saying, we're not saying any of this is factual. Right. I mean, no hard evidence really will be found from here on out. This is all just our general thoughts about this question because it's a question that people have been asking as long as fem slash has existed and you know regular slash has existed because there is has always been this disparity of popularity so it's like what's the deal with that yeah so the first point on their list well these are in no particular order the first point we will discuss is that there is just a lack of female characters out there for people to write about what is your response to that? I feel like we might have mentioned this in the the uh, episode on things we're not going to talk about. And yes, there are more male characters, more male characters at the center of the show. I just don't know that the disparity is as great as the disparity in the number of fanfics that we're seeing. So yeah. I think you could have an expectation of there being some disparity, just not at quite as wide a gulf. Right. And honestly, I feel like the argument is, you know, male characters are more well-developed. People are more likely to be connected to them, that sort of thing. But non-well-developed male characters has never stopped the male-male slash community from writing about them, you know? Like, sometimes you just see a couple of characters and think they look good together, and then a fandom is born. (laughs) So, 
Well, I think that leads into the second suggestion, which is lack of female relationships. And to me, that's really the question of this phenomenon of two white guys, they're in a room, they look at each other once, and all of a sudden, there's all this fan fiction about them. Right. So the idea that you need these well-developed female characters, it doesn't quite match up if, you know, all things being equal, theoretically, you need the same amount of content. And a lot of times for these male ships, there's not a lot of content to start with. True. But I mean, that said, like, both of these are true. Like, I mean, there Mm -hmm. are fewer female characters on TV. There are fewer well-developed female characters on TV. There are certainly fewer well-developed relationships between women on TV. But it just doesn't, it certainly doesn't feel like that tells the whole story of why there's so much less thick between them. So that leads us into the idea that female characters or relationships on TV lack what they are calling favored dynamics, which is my new favorite concept. (laughs) So that's the idea of there are certain types of relationships that are like made for fanfic, right? So characters Mm -hmm. that start as enemies and have this tension and then you can imagine them, you know, transitioning to enemies, to friends, to lovers, whatever, or characters that are buddy, buddy, like friendship relationships, uh, you know, cop partners oftentimes yeah just like friends that you can obviously see maybe they're more than friends so it's just the idea that these traditional types of relationships don't exist as much for female characters it's interesting too right to think about again i guess lena must be a villain in supergirl she's well she's a luther so i assume so but i don't know so i don't know what their dynamic is but at, at a minimum zena is the big strong person and her her little weaker friend that's a favored dynamic but uh, there's plenty of ladies who have lady friends though i do think that sort of blends into the next point in an interesting way about compulsory heterosexuality but sort of the way that that applies more to female characters than male characters just like the idea that it's much less likely for a female character on tv to be unattached she is likely to be defined by her relationships with men right so she's more likely to be in some sort of relationship whereas a lot of the time you have male characters that are just like not viewed through any lens about their relationships they just have these qualities of a character and they go about their business and you know like maybe off screen occasionally they date someone but (laughs) you might never hear about them being in a relationship and it just doesn't have anything to do with their character so if these women are spending their screen time dealing with their relationships and significant others maybe they have less opportunity to be developing these intimate female friendships that could lead to more fan fiction right that point does talk about how female characters frequently fail to pass the Bechdel test. Yes. And it's interesting because one of the things that I thought about as being like a space where you see a lot of female friendships tend to be in like sitcoms, right? So you have, you know, you're designing women, your golden girls, your uh, living singles, your girlfriends. But yeah, a lot of their conversations do revolve around the men that they're, they're dating. Yeah. And it is interesting how much more often, as you think about it, male characters tend, can just be like free from relationship expectations if the show's not about that right yeah so yeah that's a that's a thinker i'm intrigued by that then we get to we've already have touched on but has been the most common conventional wisdom explanation throughout the history of fandom and it's just that straight women want hot guys (laughs) and they want to 
look at hot guys and write about hot guys and read about hot guys and you don't want any women in there could distracting from the hot guys <laughs> yeah so i think that the the survey the the ao3 census disputes this a little bit but maybe not entirely because we do find that really only about a quarter to a third of the women in these spaces are heterosexual so the they're like something between, depending on how you categorize, they're between 31 and 36% of the folks that read male, male slash, and between 25 and 31% of the folks that write male, male slash. But what we do find is that there's this whole unknown heretofore group of bisexual women that are in these spaces. So it might be that what people had been categorizing as straight women, they really just meant was like women attracted to men. And right. some of them are potentially also attracted to women. <laughs> but at a baseline, right. they're attracted to men. Yeah, and it's interesting, right, that in the, the femme slash categories, it is much more people not attracted to men. Yeah, I mean, you still find plenty of bi and pansexual yeah. women, but you don't find nearly as many heterosexual women. So the numbers are sort of becoming much more lesbian and much less straight. But Maddie... Why might bisexual women not be writing about fem slash as much as they're writing about dude slash? What are some of the potential reasons which might be the next two reasons yeah. on our list? Well, there are many, but you're right. The next two reasons might apply to that. One of them, I think, is pretty hard to deny as an influence on all fandom spaces, especially since these are spaces largely controlled by and consumed by women, and yet you find these sort of outcomes. We'll talk about internalized misogyny. <laughs> so, yay. Yay. I think there is plenty of research, plenty of anecdotal evidence, plenty of every bit of evidence you need that fandom spaces in general can be pretty misogynistic places. They tend to have fewer, you know, female characters in their writing, but they, in terms of the way that fandom interacts with creators and stuff, you'll often find just really antagonistic relationships between female actresses who are like in the way of the male male ship and and creators and just the the idea that like women are kind of in the way of in male slash spaces and they get either written out or you know in like the loveliest of scenarios just turned queer themselves like the idea that you would take all the female characters in the space and make them queer characters but it's not a friendly place for female representation which feels odd considering the people doing the writing and doing the reading so i i'm hard pressed to not think that that is at least a part of it <laughs> I right don't know about you so like independent of this conversation right as you were saying there's a lot of interesting research about women tend to be more critical of women than they are of men and because everyone tends to be more critical right. of women than they are of men we're all a culture to do that and so like it's not surprising that it's also cropping up in these spaces because it crops up in all spaces. all spaces because fandom is a part of society and that is a regular societal issue and we live in a society and it's not you know necessarily all misogyny in terms of like an anger filled misogyny but though that is there but there's also just the idea of how our society and thus fandom is totally androcentric like just we all have been raised as humans to view the world through male lens like we put men at the center of our stories women and men do because that's just what we've always done <laughs> as a society right and i think you know it's always also this this 
question of if I write a story about a woman, does it have to be about her being a woman? And if yes. I write a story about a minority, does it have to be about them being a minority? Or if that I can just write my story about yeah. my cis straight white man and then it's not about his cisness, his straightness, his whiteness. Which, to be honest, is fucking fair because there is no group of people in this country, at least, who gets to tell, like, to just be a person and have a story that doesn't have anything to do with their identity other than cis straight men. That's not, that, that like, identity is not a part of their story the way that it is with every other but group of people. But you could. And I think that's the tension. I'm not saying, I'm not advising it. I'm just saying <laughs> that I understand that inclination because it is yes. the case that ma- straight white male characters don't get viewed through their straight white male lenses. They just get viewed as characters in a right. way that most other characters don't. Yeah, and I think we've seen this tension come up in other places, right? Of Particularly if you are not a person within that group, although this doesn't apply for women, given the spaces. If you don't incorporate that in some way into the story, are you not being true to that person? But everyone's experience is different. So I assure you, you can write a story about anyone and have it not be a major element in their life. Yeah. But also, right, you know, this is fan fiction and you're writing AUs. So your, your AU can be... <laughs> It's a world without misogyny. Exactly. How exciting is that? A world. Yeah. My AU is is, everything's exactly the same as canon, but misogyny doesn't exist. (laughs) Go for it. Do it, guys. Why not? But that definitely leads us to the other second point about why these straight or bisexual women might not be interested in writing about women. Uh, Just the idea that if you're writing about female characters, it might hit too close to home. So as you were saying, like, people have this idea that if you're writing about anyone other than a straight white male, that it needs to be, like, about the identity of the person they're writing about. So you might have an idea that if you're writing about female characters, those female characters are going to be confronting misogyny or, you know, whatever issues women might have to deal with from day to day in a way that you just don't feel like writing about, right? You want to write about your happy, fun time fandom spaces and not think about the, the hassle of being a woman when you already do that in your daily life. Right. So yeah, I think, I think, you know, those things probably go hand in hand and and could be difficult to disaggregate in places, but fun times. (laughs) It's all, it's all good times, but let's move on to another reason, which is a a little less intense. Yeah. I would say. Sure. So the next suggested reason is there's no pre-existing audience. Right. And I think this more gets into the portion of fan fiction writing that is getting your writing out to people and having a community that's already existing to read your writing. Right. So it's not like no pre-existing audience for the thing you might be writing about, but just because fewer people read them slash you're not going to be reaching as many people with your writing. Whereas that's one of your goals. Right. And you know that in the dude slash world, there is just a huge community of people who already read that, already like it, are always looking for new male, male slash to read. So the the community is there. And if you are able to say like, well, I have this new white guy, white guy pick, guys, you're going to love it because you already loved every other white guy, white guy pick. Uh, and kind of similarly, the next suggested reason is there's less writer support. So fewer mentors within the fem slash community, because just again, the numbers. Fewer writers, fewer mentors, fewer readers, fewer writers. There's just less out there, which right. kind of ties in with 
the idea that there's harsher criticism in the fem slash community, which actually kind of ties back to the internal misogyny internal conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some people, I guess, have found that there is like a more forgiving atmosphere for younger fic writers in the male male slash world than there is in the fem slash world. So it's just like less appealing to dip your toe in because right. there's just harsh criticism out there, which is a real bummer. And all of that leads to the fact that it is just harder to find fem slash fic, which is true. This is a real chicken and the egg situation, though. It is. The argument that there's less fic because there's less fic. But to be fair, I'm sure that is at least a small part of it. Just if you are first getting into fandom spaces and experiencing the fact that there's like all of this male male fic out there and you're not seeing any fem slash, it might not occur to you to either look for it or write it. Because it just seems like not what we do here. Not a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The next reason is that it's a newer movement and then it hasn't had as much time to grow as slash fandoms, which is true, right? It, it blew up, I guess, in the 90s. But the 90s were 20 long time to ago. 30 years ago at 20 this point. 20 to 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, so I, I'm, I'm just... I'm not sure, like, how much time does something like this need in the age of the internet? Like... In the digital age? <laughs> right. It blow up at any time. Though I do find it interesting in the AO3, I, I'm with you, actually, I, you know, how much time do you need? But it is interesting in the AO3 survey, they found that the older a respondent to the survey was, the less likely they were to read Ben Slash. So it does sort of maybe give you the idea that the, the community will grow as uh, yeah. younger fans are coming up in the world um which is nice to think about mm -hmm. then that another potential reason that they give is that the movement lost momentum so like maybe it started strong with xena and then for some reason there was just a desert of content <laughs> and nothing to write about the crux of the problem may be that no one is as hot as lucy lawless and like i mean just can't get over be it. fair Go watch those clips. No one is as hot as Lucy Lawless. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, it's hard to move on. Like, yeah, you have your hot white guys, and I guess yeah. they're all hot. And, right. you know, whatever. But they're also sort of like all the same. But Lucy yeah. Lawless? Come on now. The next reason is is particular just to AO3, because this is a thought experiment that they did about their own lack of representation. So just the idea that maybe there is a lot of fem slash out there, it's just not on AO3, because AO3 is is biased for whatever particular reason. And yep. maybe people are, are archiving their fem slash on other sites, which obviously we can't argue with. That might be the case. Mm -hmm. Though I definitely don't think that they are wrong to have concluded that there's less fem slash out there than there is dude slash. Right. <laughs> It would be weird if AO3 was some anomalous space where yeah. <laughs> everywhere else it's 50-50. Exactly. <laughs> something about AO3. Yeah, that would be bizarre. Uh, the next one is sort of related, which is, they call it their hyper-popular fandom bias, which is just the idea that, yes, 9% of the fix on AO3 are tagged female slash female. But the reason it's 9% is because there's like a million Sherlock fandom. So as a percentage, it's smaller. Right. But just like a few fandoms have so much fic about a couple of male or even like gen couples, yeah. not gen couples, or male-female couples, that it's just skewed the numbers 
so intensely. Yeah, because to be fair, like I haven't done the number crunching, but I have to imagine probably the top five ships on AO3 account for it, an outsized proportion of the number of fic on AO3 because right. some of them are just so incredibly popular compared to everything else. But I guess it's worth getting into on another day why that is. Then we have this interesting idea, which I had not considered, uh, mm-hmm. the idea that perhaps fem slash shippers are just less text focused. So maybe yeah. they prefer to do their fandom participation in like fan art or, you know, other ways, cosplay. What else could you do that's like not text related? Um, but there are lots of ways to show your affection for a fandom that are not fan fiction writing. I don't know that there's any evidence to support or not support that. Refute that. Exactly. Yeah. It's just an interesting idea. Then we come to the idea that perhaps Western media is just biased, which I find that hard to argue with in any context. It's true, but I don't, I, with that one, like, I don't know that it means that it still wouldn't show up because we saw when we did our analysis of the racial breakdown, like there's a good amount of anime on the top 100. Yeah. And it's all male, male. I mean, there's canonical lesbians in anime. I was, we were reading about the fact that in Sailor Moon, in the American version, they turned those lesbians into cousins. That is messed <laughs> up, guys. <laughs> Don't do that. Come on. So certainly, yeah, you're right, right? Western media is biased, but I don't know if that means that it still can't show up on our AO3 top 100 because we all have access at this point Yep. to non-Western media. Correct. Uh, And the last reason that they came up with is also particular to just the AO3 tagging system and how it might be leading to a bias in the numbers. And it's the idea that there might just not be as many female slash female side pairings, which is to say that, you know, when you write a fic and it has, it's about one couple for the most part, but then there are other couples that appear in the fic, even though it's not about them and you're tagging those side couples. It might just be that people are tagging a lot of male slash male side pairings And it's driving up the numbers artificially, even though the fix aren't really about them. Right. Which, you know, is probably somewhat true, but also feels more like a symptom of the issue than the root of it to me. So those are all the reasons listed on that list. A lot of interesting reasons. And I also just appreciate them putting in the effort, you know? So do you have a conclusion? Have we come to a conclusion about the root of the issue? So I guess maybe the way to do this is to say like what stands out to me on this list is like, yeah, that seems right. Yeah. I have to, I have to admit that, you know, it probably is true that a, a higher percentage of people writing fan fiction overall are attracted to men than are attracted to women, even if you consider the bisexual component. Yeah. I'm also like the too close to home and the internalized misogyny also makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But we've all just before you move on, because you're right, I agree that probably a higher proportion are attracted to men. But I don't think that that explains why they're writing all male, male slash and not like male slash female fic. Yeah. But we've talked before, and I guess it's come up a little bit in this discussion about like things get away from people and it just becomes a norm. And so if the norm of fan culture is to write male, male slash. And if you want to, you know, participate in this community, that's that's where all the activity is, right? The activity is around John Locke and the activity is around Dean and Cass. Yeah, people want to be where the action is. Right. You're going to end up in a more niche community doing fem slash work or reading fem slash and obviously that's fine 
but it's a different experience, I imagine, than than being at the forefront of, of you know, all this activity. Yeah, definitely. It, it takes a different type of person, I think, to want to be in what is going to be a more insular community because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of crossover between people who are in the fence slash community and people who are in the dude slash community. Right. I agree with you on both of those points. I think uh, we already said this, but internalized misogyny certainly stands out to me (laughs) as a potential reason that there are so many fewer female characters in fandom spaces, even though women are writing and reading it. Women are constantly calling for more representation on screen for both queer characters, but also female characters. And yet, for the most part, people aren't like, you know, walking the walk of female representation in their work. I also love the idea that people were really into Femme Slash for Xena and then just couldn't, didn't have the heart to continue when Xena went off the air. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think it's Lucy Lawless. I think it's all her. I think we all saw her and we were like, if she came back, there would be a Femme Slash renaissance. Let's get that on, Xena Lucy. reboot going. Yeah, that would be delightful. <laughs> what if they rebooted Xena and obviously it's, you know, 20. 30 years later and she and Gabrielle have just been married. They've been together the whole time. Because now you could put them on air uh, as lesbians and it would be fine. I think they absolutely should do that. And then you get to be like, everybody was right all along, you know, without having to change anything about the original. It's great. It's a great idea. So, you know, some of these uh, arguments are more convincing than others, but I think whatever the reasons are, I think that they are many reasons. There's not like one thing that explains all of this. I think with all of these things, right, with all these questions of representation within fandom, we don't want to be like, you're all terrible not no. writing fem slash. Right. <laughs> Especially me. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> we have these conversations all the time, though, where it's like we find that, you know, there's terrible representation for non-white characters and we're like, get it together, fandom. Or we find that there's terrible representation for women and we're like, get it together. But there, you can't ignore the fact that it's like, it's a first of all, it's a fandom space that people are voluntarily participating in. Nobody's getting paid to be here. <laughs> people right. are volunteering their time and they're going to write what they want to write and what they want to read and what they think people are interested in. And so we can talk as much as we want about like the responsibility that showrunners filmmakers, the entertainment industry has to make strides to improve representation, which they absolutely have a responsibility to do that, or they don't deserve our dollars. Right. But I don't know that you can necessarily make the same arguments about people who write fanfic, because it's like, they don't owe me anything. (laughs) You know? Yeah. As much as I would like to be out there saying, be the change you wish to see in the world and write the fem slash. If you're not interested in it, you're not interested in it, right? So yeah, we're we're just, you know, we're having this conversation to think about it. And I guess we ask you to think about it also, especially if you are a person who is right into transformative fandom and participates in either writing fan fiction or reading fan fiction. Because yes, it would be very hypocritical for me in particular to be like, yeah. you guys need to read more. I'm not going to do it because I'm not <laughs> reading any of it regularly, but you guys... <laughs> from outside the community exactly yeah you know it it is this it is this difficult tension between wanting representation and asking for representation and it has to end up being someone's responsibility yeah whose i don't know i think it's the people who write stuff that we 
pay them for. Oh, for sure. But yeah. even within fan spaces, if you're calling for more representation. Sure. Well, I mean, in fan spaces, if you're calling for more representation, I think the responsibility lies with you. I, I right. think that people who are really invested in seeing more representation in fan spaces, I, I mean, have to take it upon themselves to make it happen because you're, you, you can write it, right? Like you can, that can't be said. I can't look at Hollywood and say, I wish there were more, you know, non-white leads of big Hollywood blockbusters and well, make that happen. it's very much the joke we had with John Locke where Gatiss was like, uh, yeah. I could write a different show or someone could write a different show. And I'm like, okay, I'll give me some money, BBC. I'll do it. Yeah. I can't write a different show. You can write a different show. But in fandom, it's like, I could write a different show. <laughs> I could make right. the fandom that is what I want all of fandom to be, which is a lot to ask, but we have the power. Everybody dance now. Everybody dance now. So I guess I'll wrap up just by saying, like, we didn't read any fan fiction. Well, that's not true. We read a tiny bit of fan fiction <laughs> in preparation. We read some Xena fan fiction. Incidentally, not a lot of Xena fan fiction on AO3. But it's probably like Lord of the Rings because it largely predates AO3 yes. and then whatever got ported. So people were probably giving each, like forwarding around zines and stuff at the time. Um, and we yeah, read... we had independent individual websites that like exactly. are dispersed. And we read what ended up being a surprisingly delightful multi-fandom uh, fan slash oh, yeah. that was just about a bunch of different female detectives from like 15 different shows all together solving the murder of Santa. <laughs> Which was great, and I loved it. But my point being, we would we are interested in great fem slash, and if anyone has read any or has a particular fandom they like, or a writer they like, or a ship they like, send it our way. I want to see what the good fem slash out there is because I am not super well versed in it, and I would like to know more. That's my call to action. In addition to be the change you wish to see in the world, which is always a good call to action. Yeah. Um. Any final fan slash thoughts? I just wish Xena was streaming somewhere because I really want to watch it now. And I know it's besides the point and not to turn this into a, a thing where, again, I'm talking about hot white guys, but Carl Urban is in a bunch of Xena episodes and I love him so much and I want to watch great. it. Carl Urban's great. In my short perusal of, of a few different Xena clips, I came across Carl Urban in one of them, Bruce Campbell in another. I mean, there are guest star game was on point new zealand man new it zealand <laughs> exactly so what are we talking about next week is it a couple of white guys again <laughs> yeah we're talking about boys again next week <laughs> yeah well that is we kind of told you what we were what we were doing with this podcast so we're back to asking for boys to kiss no we're talking about Teen Wolf next week. Yeah. Styles and Derek. Derek, a, a personal favorite of mine. And it's going to be an interesting experience for you because when we started this journey, you had seen zero episodes of Teen Wolf. Well, we were going to have it be a bit like our Hannibal episode where I was going to watch a, you know, a handful of, of, of episodes to get a, a sense of, of their relationship. But then I started watching it and I couldn't stop. <laughs> That's the power of Teen Wolf, baby. It's a silly show, but it's fun. I probably won't end up watching the whole show by the time, but I might end up watching like pretty much the full scope of Steric because Steric leaves the show. Yeah, Derek leaves and then Styles leaves. And then I think they, they both come back for the finale. So I might get their, their whole deal, if not all of, of Teen Wolf. But I'm psyched. It's fun. It's a fun watch. It's going to be a good episode. But 
I think we've said a lot of things in this episode and we might receive, you know, some feedback for it. We're interested to hear other people's opinions about the state of fem slash and why there might not be more of it. And, you know, just generally thoughts. We're always interested in your thoughts, but <laughs> we just want to hear your thoughts. We've told you enough of our thoughts. So to reach out to us with your thoughts, your questions, your comments, concerns, I'm still waiting to hear people's concerns. <laughs> Uh, email us at ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening to this now because, again, they tell me it's a good idea. I don't really understand why, but do it. Do it for us. If you like us, if you if you don't, uh, I guess you can still leave a review, but send us a letter. We'll try to improve first. Yeah. Tell us how we can improve before you leave us a negative review. But if you like us, leave us a positive review. That's what they're supposed to say, right? That's what they teach I you think to so. do in podcast yeah. school. I think we're good. All right. That does it for us. Fem slash. Hopefully someday we'll return to some sort of female couple. But uh, for the moment. Oh, yeah. that's. I know we talked about, obviously, the three that are on the list. But are there any other interesting fem slash pairs that we didn't talk about that are an interesting story? Let us know. New episodes of Let the Boys Kiss are released every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, basically anywhere you can get podcasts.